Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast interview. Very excited to bring in uh, the longtime color analyst on Longhorns broadcasts, the one and only Roger Wallace. Roger, how you doing? Hey, good to see you, Chip. I dressed up for you, man. I'm happy to be with you. Listen, I appreciate that. You should be able to roll out of bed and, My pleasure. and join us, and we'll just talk ball like we're <laughs> like we're hanging out at the sports bar. You know what I'm saying? I, I just noticed the one thing you can see here are my boxing gloves, and that's probably you know sport number 95 on my uh, on my list of expertise. But yeah, those are some. Well, tell us gloves. about those boxing gloves. Well, Rogers, my wife, uh, my wife, a long time ago decided that I I needed kind of that uh, that old historic uh, kind of uh, sports motif uh, in my little office here. And so she she is great at, you know, finding cool stuff at, uh, you know, places you wouldn't uh, normally look. And she found some boxing gloves. She's got some old wooden skis and old wooden tennis rackets. But the boxing gloves are the ones. Uh, here, can I show you something really cool, though, Chip? Oh, yeah. Show you yeah most wives are looking to junk all that stuff. So, yeah. So I can't zoom, but see the because I see your VY picture of the Sports Illustrated. So you see the VY picture there? Yeah. yeah. So I saw that in a, a store at Barton Creek Mall, and I was just kind of looking at it. And then I looked at it again, and you can't see it because you can't zoom in. But I can see in the background – the silhouette, because I was a sideline reporter for uh, for UT Radio then with Craig and Keith, and you can see the silhouette of me, uh, and I've got a mic here, like I'm ready to talk, like they're going to go to me as Vince is scoring the, you know, the the national championship clinching touchdown. But uh, anyway, so that's why we got it uh, uh, to uh, uh, because you can kind of see in the background, and the reason I could tell, I had a black jacket on, but the credential kind of was white, so that's pretty cool. How about that? Yeah. That's yeah. uh and that I mean that is easily okay. You've been at KXAN now um what how how many years? 27 in April. 27 years. And where does that rank? Where does that championship football game rank? Well, it's number one. Uh as far as professionally, the 08 Beijing Olympics, so many events. But for one singular moment, it was uh, the national championship game, no doubt about it. All right, Roger, wanted to get you on to, to talk a little UT basketball, baseball, a couple thoughts on spring football. Mm -hmm. So let's start with UT basketball because they're getting ready to head off to Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. And um, Texas basketball year one under Chris Beard, early impressions um, on your end. It's been an uh, unusual, and uh, you know, I'll defer to you too. But for the sake of the, the question, because they had to get beard, and they got beard, um, and then you know there was so much buzz around all the transfers he got, and I think he knew deep down it was going to be tough, even though collectively it looked pretty amazing what he was able to assemble. All those guys were either their leading scorer or one of their top scores at their programs, but now you got to bring them together, play his style. And usually it's, you know, you have a core at the school and you bring in a few guys to mix in. And it was almost, you know, the other way around, you had a few guys that were remaining key guys, Andrew Jones, Cordy Ramey, Jace Febris, and Brock Cunningham, but they have to mix in with new guys who didn't play with each other, who didn't get coached by Chris Beard. It was just a really weird dynamic. 
And I think, you know, you could look at it both ways. I think, you know, what they've done is is really impressive trying to put that together. And I think the 30,000 foot view you hear people say is he's done a, a really good job with that. I think the the micro view is, you know, there was so much, so many expectations early on that the ranking was ridiculous early on. I think most people would agree. And then, um, so I don't know. I think it's an incomplete. I think they could still win a couple games in the tournament. But the moments, Chip, think about the moments. W- what have they been? They go to Gonzaga. That was a hornet's nest. You know, I don't think anybody's going to win that night. Compound the fact that that was right after the football game against Kansas. So already Longhorn fans aren't real happy. And then they turn on the, the late game against Gonzaga. And, you know, Gonzaga jumped on them early. And then you think about the other moments, and, and that was the trip to Tech, Tech here, Baylor here to close down the Irwin Center. The the one big one was when Rick Barnes came, and that nearly got away from them, uh, you know, in Tennessee. They've had some really good wins, but I think those kind of get lost. Think about going to TCU and winning by 23. We think TCU is a pretty good team, maybe a tournament team. So maybe they're not getting credit for the things they did well, and the, the memorable moments, unfortunately for them, they've been on the wrong side of most of them. Well, and if they go to the Big 12 tournament, beat TCU, uh, most likely face Kansas, beat Kansas, we're talking about uh, an exciting, you know, you're going to get remembered for what you do in March. And if you can beat TCU, beat Kansas, possibly, you know, play either Baylor or Tech, the two teams that swept you uh, with a chance to knock one of those off, then, you know, it, it turns into a different season right now. I agree with you. I think most of Longhorn Nation looks at the season and says, well, you know, it was it was kind of a a B minus. Yeah. Um, but yet, you know, they hit the 20 win mark by the end of February. And and now they just got to go do something in the NCAA tournament because clearly that's where Shaka Smart failed. I mean, even in winning Texas's first Big 12 tournament last year, they they suffer one of the worst upsets of, of last year's NCAA tournament getting knocked off by Abilene Christian. And, and that's how the Shaka smart era ends. So. And the the unusual circumstances in Kansas city with Kansas, you know, not being able to play that semifinal game. Right. Right. That's right. And so they end up playing Oklahoma state and, and beating them for that big 12 tournament title, but um, nothing in in the NCAA tournament uh, win column the last six years under Shaka Smart. So anything uh, in terms of a win in the NCAA tournament this year would, would be an upgrade. Uh, but I think people who are you know questioning Chris Beard, I'm, I'm like, no, he'll find the guys he needs uh, to win in this program. And, and they have gotten tougher since that blowout loss uh, to Baylor 80-63. Uh, back in mid-February, they've played better. They've played tougher. The wins at Oklahoma, West mm-hmm. Virginia, gut check wins. Um, and heck, the overtime game against Kansas over the weekend. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a tough as tough a place to play as there is. And once again, Courtney Ramey, you know, denying uh Ochai uh Abaji and 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 let's see, let's see what these guys can do. Um, obviously the Trey Mitchell, um, leave of absence, uh, is, you know, kind of a weird subs subset to this, uh, basketball season, but 
the team has stayed together and and played hard and like we said played tougher uh down the stretch here and not you know not as if they would have been tougher um you know, I, th- I think even if they had Trey Mitchell, they would have been playing tougher, but they've stayed together and kept going. Yeah, and, and it's just, I, I go back to, it's so interesting, the group he brought together. And if you look at what they did at their previous place, I mean, Marcus Carr goes off for 41 in a game again at Minnesota, but it's a totally different system there. I mean, Trey Mitchell's a 19 point per game. Christian Bishop plays it. Creighton, where they love to just run them down the floor and score in the 90s. They all had to adjust to Chris Beard, but he had to gear a little bit towards them. I mean, you know, Marcus Carr needs the ball in his hands. So I think it's just been a kind of a really difficult uh, thing to do. And, oh, by the way, in the Big 12, where you can't say there's a a win that you just kind of roll your eyes and say, well, yeah, they had to win that game. Every game is a grinder, no matter if it's home or away. So I kind of go back to the memorable moments they may be on the on the short end of, but they had so many other good wins that people just kind of discard because of the situation with Tech twice and then the Baylor game here, all the hype. So that's what I'm saying. It's kind of a weird year for them all the way around. Yeah. When you look at um... – like if if we were to pick an MVP of this team, who would you pick? I think it's got to be Timmy Allen. I think he's been the most consistent. I think, you know, he's hit big shots. Um, So, and everybody else has had moments. I think if they were 24 and what, seven or 24 and six, it's probably Marcus Carr. Uh, but under the circumstances, I would go with, with Timmy Allen. I say, well, if they're 24 and seven, I think there's some more moments down the stretch where, you know, Marcus Carr, and, and that's putting a lot on him uh, in close ball games. but he's the type uh, scorer at that position that can create things uh, and, and do it down the stretch. But I would, I would say, do you, what do you think, Timmy Allen? Yeah, I think Timmy Allen uh, been the most consistent and, um, you know, when, uh, my gosh, his performance against West Virginia was unbelievable mm-hmm. where he just kept attacking mm-hmm. the basket, get into the free throw line, finished with 26 points in a, in a one possession game. Um, would like to have seen that more from him, that aggressiveness against Texas tech in both games, especially early. But, um, you know, it's, it's a interesting, um, mix as you said roger because you've got talented players who were on 500 or losing teams they had to learn how to win and they had to learn how to win with chris beard's toughness and 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 that toughness grows in the program i mean we saw uh at texas tech you know he had okay first two years and then boom the the third year he goes to the elite eight fourth year he's in the national championship game so you know you you see what he can do uh once that toughness that culture builds in the program i thought the most maybe most important building block thing he accomplished this year was the relationship with the students roger in building that that fan base and getting those kids you know inviting them down onto the floor uh, after some games having the students only game at Gregory gym, um, you know, really going out of his way to, to stress how important those students are. 
their presence at, at the basketball games. Yeah, and and he didn't shy away from being Chris Beard even after losses. And I think sometimes you'll see when things are going well, yeah, it's great. You get Matthew McConaughey on the roof of the Irwin Center and you do this and do that. But, you know, when things aren't going so well, you kind of go into your, you know, into your cave and and do your media obligations. And then, but I, I like the fact that, you know, win or lose, he was kind of the same guy as far as the big picture, like you're talking about. And that's being inclusive. Uh, that's his little media uh, marketing update uh, before every uh, news conference starts during the week. And and so he he's the same guy. And I think that's really important because it's real easy to be funny and glib and all that stuff when things are going well. But the fact that he's consistent with it, I think, says a lot. And then let's be honest, Chip, everything changes ne next year when they move into that new building because 8,000, you know, sounds like 14,000 this year. And I, I'm sure Chris Beard wants way more than 8,000. But what I'm saying is I think that's going to be, uh, you know, such a boost to that program and even more so to Vic Schaefer uh, in the women's program to get in that new building. And, you know, that place, uh, I'm guessing, I haven't been in, but uh, smart people design those new arenas. And, and it's going to be, I get, I would guess, really uh, impressive and loud and, and all the things that they, they want out of it. Yeah, and mercifully, the students are going to be, you know, what, three quarters of the way around the court um, where they're going to be, you know, sitting behind the Longhorns bench, behind the visitors bench, and their presence will be, you know, instead of being in the end zones in the Irwin Center, the vacuous Irwin Center. That's the other thing I love, Roger, is that, you know, we're saying goodbye to the Irwin Center and so many people sort of despise the Irwin Center for its acoustics, <laughs> for its design in, in terms of basketball, because it's not right on top of the court. It's, you know, this big circle in the courts yeah. and the middle kind of awkward. But yeah, Moody is designed for basketball and for great acoustics, for concerts and all that. But nonetheless, there were a lot of great moments in the Irwin Center. That's that, right. The, the moments were made the building. The building didn't make the building. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that leads me into um, the women's basketball program, Roger. Uh, Vic Schaefer, Elite Eight in year one, did it with six players. Now he's got uh, Rory Harmon, who's, you know, sensational freshman point guard. And and he's gotten his, you know, his, everything out of those three seniors. You know, Joanne Allen Taylor, um, Audrey Warren, Lauren Ebo. And Lauren Ebo's really picked it up and is playing her best basketball. Uh, talk about the job you think Vic Schaefer has done in year two. Yeah, and I've I've had the you know fortune of of doing a handful of games both years filling in for Craig, and so I've I've gotten a little bit of a look behind the curtain. And you know, he likes to say he coaches against ghosts, and man, that that couldn't be more true. He is going at it every moment. And the thing about Vic is he's he's very even keel uh, with the team. You might think just because of the you know his demeanor on the bench, you might think you know he's he's, he's a yeller, he's a screamer, he's kind of all over the place. He's not. He's a teacher, and uh, and he is you know he he's a film rat, and and he's always looking for that edge, uh, writing things down. And I, I think it's pretty amazing what he did last year with that team, and this year again. You're he's such a grinder. 
uh, I was joking with somebody, you know, all the all the little quips on Twitter about different programs and, you know, you mess with the horns, you get the beard, mess with the beard, get the horns, Fortune 500, Villanova. And to me, Vic is, you know, he grinds out grinders. Uh, I, I just think that's what he does with his programs when they're really good. So I, I think he's going to get it rolling pretty good. Um, and, you know, he, Saturday was really cool because there was, you know, 11,000 in the building. And those those players loved, you know, that one great moment at the Irwin Center that they had with with a really big crowd. And I think Vic's been frustrated uh, last year. Nothing you can do about it. Uh, but this year and, and kind of what it is, uh, he's in a metropolitan area now. He's not in a you know a small D1 town. So it's a, he, he's fighting a different battle. But uh, he gets those guys to play so hard. And, and Roy Harmon, you said it, Chip. I mean, she just gets banged around and just you know, keeps on ticking. Yeah. I mean, she reminds me of, of TJ Ford yeah. uh, from yeah. just a calm and, you know, she gets it and her teammates, she, you know, I just think they're going to have uh, such a high ceiling with her uh, at the point guard position. And, and how about that? I mean, the, the attendance in that final home game against Oklahoma state and, you know, Michael Huff, you know, Vic Schaefer saying, I'll, I'll give 10,000 uh, to neighborhood Longhorns. If we can get 10,000 in the building, Michael Huff saying, I'll match it. They, yeah. they do it. And, and, you know, they, they're the top 10 team, right? They're the top 10 uh, basketball team right now. And, and who knows what they can accomplish because heck they started the season off beating the defending champion Stanford Cardinal at Stanford. Right. Yeah. And they, and they'll get two at home. You would almost, almost for certain. Uh, well, one guaranteed. Got to got to get to that game to get to the Sweet 16. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, I think they're just a hard matchup for teams. Um, but their problem is they can they can go into some offensive funks, and if they do it against the wrong team, you know that that spells trouble. So, you know, we'll see. Kind of like the guys, uh, they they seem to have those droughts. Um, but uh, yeah, they're dangerous because they just play so hard. And a lot of teams just aren't used to seeing that kind of defense uh, and that kind of pressure for 40 minutes. You know, people talk about, you know, Chris Beard and the stress on defense. And and so his team doesn't have offense. But we've seen when you get the right point guard, Rick Barnes' team stressed defense. They didn't work on offense and practice. They were very similar to what Chris Beard is doing. When you get the right point guard, uh, running things and knowing how to set players up, it, the offense comes. It it seems, you know, that's been a struggle for the men. As you mentioned, there's some lulls for the women as well. You know, Marcus Carr, I think, is more of a two guard as opposed to a point guard. And he's sort of had to, you know, uh, learn on the job, not learn on the job, but you know, trying to figure it all out. It's been up and down and we'll see um, if, if, you know, they can get into that flow where their defense turns into offense and, and they can build confidence. Obviously they didn't hit shots against Baylor. What, um, you know, four of 23 from three point range. Uh, and then they come right back at Kansas and hit five of eight in the first half. So got to hit shots, right? You know, it's so funny you say that because I, I think, you know, the experts want to talk about so many other things 
than the most obvious thing sometimes. And that's, yeah, you got to hit shots and you got to do it at a high level and you got to do it at an efficient level uh, in this day and age. And there are those exceptions, but look at the best teams and they get up and down the floor and, you know, high possession games, you got to be able to score. So, and that's both sides, that's men and women. Uh, so that, that's exactly right. And, and that there's so much more stress on your defense when you're struggling, then it gets in your head and, and coaches hate to say or hate to admit that if you're not hitting shots, it can get in your head at the other end of the floor. They love to think you can separate the two, but you know, these guys are human. So you get a little frustrated when you can't hit shots and you might let up a little bit on defense. So to me, that's, that's the part of the game. That's the most obvious. And sometimes uh, everybody likes to tiptoe around it. Well, let's take a, a quick break here with Roger Wallace, longtime color analyst on Longhorns broadcasts. Uh, we'll come back to talk a little baseball, a little football, a little spring football with Roger. Roger, um, the Texas baseball team, number one in the nation. They, um, you know, off to an amazing start. They do suffer a setback uh, in the Shriners uh, Children's Hospital College Classic down in Houston, but they they open with impressive wins over Tennessee and LSU. Then Tanner Witt is a late scratch uh, against UCLA. They never quite get their traction uh, in that game, lose that game, but they're still number one in the country after even after the loss and you know early impressions of Texas baseball. Well, the start with the fact that they're living up to the hype, and I think that's a hard thing. Uh, for any program, but especially, you know, Texas baseball's got hype, whether they're one or 15, especially, you know, with a couple of trips to Omaha in the last several years. So to me, that's the start because, as you said, they lose to UCLA on, on Sunday and they're not going to go undefeated. And they could have lost a game to uh, Alabama. They could have lost a game to Corpus, but they didn't. They found ways uh, to win those games. So they're living up to the hype and the hype's based. You start with the starting pitching, and you mentioned it. Tanner Witt was a scratch. Lucas Gordon pitched pretty well, uh, but they only get five hits, and one of them might still be going. We're not sure where that ball went. Ivan Melendez hit because you couldn't see it. Uh, but it was just one of those days, and David Pierce rests a couple of guys. Uh, still solid performance, but you're right. I mean, Tennessee wanted to beat them really bad after what happened in Omaha. LSU, that was like a tournament game, uh, the atmosphere there, and, you know, look like a typical Friday, Saturday for this, this team with, with Pete Hansen and, and Tristan Stevens. So the concern is if it's anything, you know, prolonged with Tanner Witt, but I think also David Pierce is establishing roles in the bullpen and, and guys are stepping up and uh, offensively, they've been pretty good too. You, you know, you get to be around, uh, you know, pregame and, you know, you talk to David Pierce a lot. What are some of the more interesting backstories of the guys on on this year's baseball team that stand out to you? Well, I, th I think a guy like Pete Hansen came in with so much talent and he admits it and uh, that, you know, maybe he wasn't the hardest worker. And that was maybe something that put him over the hump. Uh, but when when the season started, a lot of people and I, I was one of them and thought maybe because Tanner Witt might have the best stuff. Maybe he's your Friday night guy, and and uh, but they like Hanson in that role because he's a strike thrower. And sometimes we don't think about the little things that they think about. But when you talk about a weekend series and the bullpen, you know you want strike throwers 
early in the series, and then you can maybe afford to have a guy like Witt who's going to go deep into counts, throw higher volume pitches, maybe only go six innings and throw 95 pitches, and then you've got a, a fresher bullpen. So I think the way that David and, and Sean Allen manipulate that, that starting rotation uh, is interesting, and then just finding guys uh, that are willing to accept the moment. And one of the funny stories uh, after the, uh, I think it was Rice early in the season, uh, first weekend, Jared Southard uh, came in and and struggled a little bit, and then he got out of it. And afterwards, in the dugout, uh, you know, Pierce joked, "Yeah, I wanted to see what you do with you know first and second no outs," and and he did a good job. Or uh, he came in relief. I, I can't remember the exact situation, but again, uh, told Jared, "I wanted to see you do what you did," and you could tell he's kind of giving these guys confidence uh, in what they do, even if they struggle a little bit. So. Um, and he's a he's a Vic man. He's a grinder, and he uses a lot of information. And like for instance, the uh, second day against Alabama that Saturday, miserable weather. He did not want to play a doubleheader. He wanted to get that game in at, at all costs uh, because you got Silas Arjuan, one of the best catchers in the nation. You don't want to have him to catch two games uh, in the same day. And didn't want Stevens to go out and throw a pitch, and then you have to shut it down uh, because of weather, and then you lose him for the day. So that's why they pushed it. Uh, but just some of the little things, that, you know, it's the old joke. I always think of, you know, Wilford Brimley, I remember him in the firm. Uh, you know, it's my job to worry about things you don't worry about. And sometimes when you're around these guys, you kind of hear the things they worry about that we don't even think about. Um, and so it's, it's cool to see that they're, they're living up to the hype and they're kind of embracing uh, the hype. Yeah, when you look at, um, you know, last year, Tanner Witt's the guy coming out of the bullpen, um, and now it's Travis Staley. Mm -hmm. Travis Staley, early returns, impressive. Yep, yep, no doubt. And that's one of the things they wanted to see early on. And and they're so – again, it's like making shots in basketball. It's obvious. But how many college baseball games do we watch where guys really struggle finding the strike zone and, you know, Texas lives off walks and then you get spoiled watching Texas pitchers because they don't walk a, a lot of batters. And, and that's the first thing he wants to see with those guys. He wants strike throwers. And, yeah, you love a guy that can go 98 and but, but you don't want him to go three, two every time or walk two guys and then have to, you know, work out of it. And then on the back end, you've got, you know, cool hand Luke Aaron Nixon, um, who struggled a little bit with control, which is odd because that's kind of his strength, but, but got out of it. So he, he's just got a really nice mix and he's establishing that middle part of the bullpen. You talked about that Tanner Witt had locked down last year, but obviously now he's, he's the number three guy. Number three, I say with a, with an asterisk, he's the third day starter on the weekend. Yeah. And Andre Duplantier is a guy who's coming on and mm -hmm. a guy they're mm -hmm. excited about just because of the, the you know the the mix of his fastball with his breaking ball and and we'll see you know watch him gain confidence and there was questions about the offense how do you replace Zach Zubia and and Mike Antico and Cam Williams um, and and so you know you look at it now you mentioned Ivan Melendez but you're getting good production from Eric Kennedy and and Doug Hodo and Austin Todd in his in his sixth year Roger amazing. The doctor. <laughs> yeah. And that the joke in Tyler. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, 
I, I give it to David Pierce. The guy nails it in his preseason predictions. Last year, I said, who's a player who could surprise? He said, I think Ivan Melendez will be one of the best hitters in the country. He was. I asked him the same question this year. He said, Silas Ardwan at the plate. He said he's a much better hitter than what he showed last year. Last year, he batted two, mm-hmm. you know, 239. Um, and already this year, he's been, uh, you know, really impressive. All right, Roger, let's let's get to a little spring football. It kicks off on March 22nd. The spring game will be April 23rd. And the roster, I mean, has been uh, turned over, it seems, with yeah. all these newcomers coming in. What – give me, uh, you know, what are you most looking forward to and what do you think fans need to keep in perspective? You know what I'm going to say, right? It's <laughs> – it's the quarterback. Uh, <laughs> got to have him. You you got to. I was thinking about this this morning because I knew we were going to talk about this. And either you have a dynamic quarterback, or you can just maul people. And you know, you think of Georgia, didn't have a dynamic quarterback. It turned out to be pretty good, but you know, not at that other level. And but they maul people. You think of Alabama; they've had both. And then you think of other teams, and they've kind of had one or the other. Uh, Clemson a mix; they could maul, but they always had a dynamic quarterback. So it's got you know it's you've got to start with a dynamic quarterback, or else you're already behind the eight ball, unless you're just so much physically superior. So I want to see, I want to see. Now I'm not, I don't expect to see anything, uh, you know, in the spring game that's going to tell me anything. Uh, but what are they saying? you know, through the grind of, of spring practice. And what are the other guys saying about Quinn Ewers and, and Hudson card? Uh, but to me, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fair, unfair, but it's the way everybody thinks. What's the quarterback situation look like? Like if you had to, and we'll come back to the, the quarterback in just a second, but the quarterback coach obviously is, is well, Steve Sarkeesian. Um, you know, what do you make of year one under Steve Sarkeesian? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it was, uh, I think of that Arkansas game, kind of like I think of the Gonzaga game. It's kind of, it was kind of a hornet's nest and and that kind of set the tone. And then obviously, you know, the Kansas game is the the swing game and they, they win that game. They're going to a bowl game and everything's a little bit different. Uh, but, you know, he had to manage the, the two quarterbacks, and I think he turned Casey Thompson into a, a – well, looks like he's going to be a starter now in the Big Ten. Uh, but Casey Thompson, we didn't know he could do this. Yeah, he did it for a half against Colorado, uh, but he got a couple quick over the tops against Colorado, and they kind of checked out. So I don't know what to make other than they may have the best running back in the country. I think they're going to have a dynamic receiving core now. Um well, I'm really, I'm really curious to see if they can land O'Shawn Mathis, uh, because of all the all the transfers last year, all the um, you know guys that transferred that that stepped right in. I don't think you can match his production of where he was compared to the guys that came in last year on the defensive side and what you know what they brought. Even though like a guy like Ovi Gofu was was good and Ray Thornton had his moments. But I mean, Oshawn Mathis, come on, that that guy can make a difference right away if they can land him. Um, but obviously, if Bijan Robinson stays healthy and the offensive line's good, they're gonna they're gonna be able to run the ball, and that's gonna make the quarterback better. 
but you know what's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball i think is is obviously a big key too yeah and you look at uh coming off a five and seven season it was a weird year they get off to a nice start four and one you know they absolutely blow out texas tech which turns out to be a bowl team and then you know have those three heartbreakers where they're you know they've got big double digit leads over oklahoma oklahoma state and baylor lose those games and then it becomes a you know a psychological thing for the team they end up you know with that long losing streak longest since 1956 and finish five and seven but how about this off season i mean from the you know the top five recruiting class where you're getting all these offensive and defensive linemen and quinn ewers uh, you bring in gary patterson uh your thoughts on you know the off season for the longhorns yeah and it obviously impressive uh and you have you know sark said you got to get bigger uh you got to get big guys and that's what they did now you know what are they going to do on the field and i think you and i have been here uh long enough to to realize that the offseason it's great to talk about it's a lot of fun but man it comes down to 12 saturdays and and maybe i'm just getting old and and cynical and thinking that you know all the lip service and all the talk you know show me the games and show me what's going to happen but it seems like he's he's put a lot of things in place that are that are going to really help uh i just love the fact that he's going to have gary patterson's ear on on the defensive side of the ball um, I, I think that can only help, um, but man, you got it. You know, you got Alabama sitting there in week two. You got a pretty good team early on too in UTSA. So again, we can talk till we're blue in the face. But you know, uh, do they? They can't get to the conference undefeated. When's the last time they played a full conference schedule or a full non-conference? Obviously, the the COVID year they just had one non-conference game. But that they can't get to the you know, the big 12 undefeated that to me, that's goal number one. And that's going to be really tough this year with Alabama. Yeah. I don't think we haven't talked to you since, um, you know, Texas uh, and Oklahoma announced they were going to the sec last summer. Uh, your thoughts on, on that impending move whenever it comes. Um, and if you have any insight into that, feel I don't have any insight. I think it's funny. Cause it was like a, a tidal wave for about five days in July. I was just off vacation, you know, when the bomb dropped. Uh, and then, you know, it was crazy. And then all of a sudden, okay, they're going to the SEC. And then every coach had to speak for the first time about it. And of course they didn't say anything because, you know, they got to worry about the now. And then it's kind of gone quiet. And the, there's been more noise about the big 12 and what they're doing than about the SEC and what they're doing with Texas and Oklahoma. We don't know what a schedule is going to look like. We don't know what divisions are going to look like. Uh, we don't know if they're going to do pods. So now we know who's coming into the Big 12, and we know Texas and Oklahoma might be playing against some of those teams, depending on when it happens. But I, I don't know. I, I understand they have to look, you know, way down the road, and they think that's the that's the best move. I think, you know, the Big 12 schools now are going, all right, we know we've got a power five conference. It may not have Texas and Oklahoma, but I think, you know, the the end is not here. You know, we're not going D3 in Lubbock. We're fine. We're going to have a, a place to play. And so I think they're stable while everybody's wondering what's the SEC going to look like uh, when these two schools finally get there. It's kind of 
kind of flipped a little bit and, and all the talks about, you know, the big 12 figuring it out. Now the SEC and Texas and know you have to figure out when, when all that happens. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma is a, is a huge deal. I mean, we've got to see what Brent Venables is as a head coach. If you, you know, if you ask the most of the people in the SEC, I bet they'd say, well, Oklahoma is, is maybe SEC ready under Lincoln Riley. I don't know if they think that now, and obviously Texas is not SEC ready. They've got a ways to go. I had one source, uh, one, you know, high level UT source say, well, you know, maybe we need a couple of years to get to where we need to be uh, in terms of SEC ready football uh, if Texas can't make the move until 2024. So um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating because I, you can't look at Lincoln Riley's move to USC uh, in any other way than path of least resistance. Right. I don't think he wanted to make that move. And, and so now he's out in the, you know, in the USC where he's the biggest brand in that conference and we'll have all the resources he needs to try and build that thing back to where they've been in the past. But uh, I think it's, I think it's fascinating that we don't have an idea yet how the SEC is going to divide itself up. Like you mentioned, is it going to be divisions? Is it going to be pods? Uh, Because that will affect scheduling and, Mm -hmm. and, that's a huge part of this this puzzle. So I, you know, looking forward to getting some more answers. And then it's interesting that Texas puts out some hype videos uh, over the last few days, you know, with the SEC logo on it, uh, but no, no year or no indication of when. So uh, they're starting to, you know, build the drum beat. But uh, how long is that drum beat going to go on? So. You know, I'm looking forward to the the scheduling, Roger. Once they get into the SEC, it's going to be incredible, uh, you know, entertainment and high right. level interest. Right. And I and I get I get the part about you know the people n- never really got excited about a home Big Twelve schedule. Um, so then you also had to lean on you know what non conference, and they've done a great job of getting the high profile non conference uh, home and homes. But, you know, when you play OU in, in Dallas every year, that's off the table. Then uh, regard, and it has nothing to do with how good teams are. It's strictly what excites you when you look at a schedule and you see those names. And that's all going to change uh, with the SEC schools. And not to say that those schools couldn't go into Waco or, you know, in, in Manhattan when they've got it rolling or, you know, pick a Big 12 school and lose. It's just the mind says, Oh, wow, Auburn's coming, you know? And so in the short term, I think that's going to be a huge thing. Uh, And then see if they just settle in and then they just kind of like the big 12, you know, we were both around when the Southwest conference turned into the big 12 and it was a big deal. And then all of a sudden it was the big 12. So, you know, how many years before it's just, okay, Texas, I know you're part of the sec. Right. Right. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. What uh, okay? Last thing, Roger. When you you look at um, you know kind of the fan perspective, what 
what do you think are realistic expectations for Texas football? And I don't even know if realistic expectations exist. Yeah. <laughs> Is that an oxymoron? <laughs> but for year two, based on what you know now, you're way too early. Yeah. Uh, you know, expectations for 2020. I, I, I think you have to put expectations at competing for a spot in the Big 12 championship game as realistic, uh, not a pipe dream. So I, I think I think they should think they should be right there at the end of November trying to get a spot in Arlington. Uh, I think that's realistic. Now, big picture, national championship playoff, I don't know. I got, I got to see the guy taking snaps. Um, this program isn't one of those programs yet, and I know that's what Sark wants it to be, where it's – this conversation is not happening because he did the job. And I remember you for a million years when you covered the Cowboys beating the drum for Bill Parcells, you know, you start on the inside and then you work your way out big guys, then, then work your way out. You've always talked to me about that uh, from your days covering the Cowboys. So until they get there, you know, the smaller guys might be the difference makers. And, and so I got to see the quarterback uh, play this, this fall. Yeah, no, it's a, uh... It's a great point, Roger. And listen, always love talking Longhorn athletics with our man, Roger Wallace. This is fun, Chip, because this is like a week's worth of sportscast for me on uh, on one shot here with you. Hey, anytime, Roger. You just right on. You know when you right got on. some stuff you want to get, uh, you know, get out there. When get long <laughs> Yo, We'll clear the decks for you, my man. I keep waiting to hear in my ear. Okay, wrap it up. Hey, no way. No, no, no wrapping it up here, but we, we appreciate it so much, Roger. You do a great job on those Longhorn uh, broadcasts. And of course, 27 years at KXAN. Uh, keep up the good work, my man. Appreciate your time. Always, always a pleasure, Chip. Thanks. All right. For Roger Wallace, I am Chip Brown. Thanks so much for listening to the flagship podcast. We'll see you over at horns247.com. And until next time, Stay safe and keep the faith.